Chapter 20 And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Good morning and welcome to worship. It is indeed a blessing to be able to gather together as God's people and worship him today. If you happen to be new today, I'm Pastor Ann, and I serve alongside Pastor Andy here at the Way Woodstock, where we are committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Last Sunday, Pastor Andy introduced our new series, 10 Words of Life, based on the book by Sean Gladding. I was especially drawn to the byline of that book, Words of Life, for an addictive addicted, compulsive, cynical, divided, and worn-out culture. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty on target when we describe the world around us. Amen? Amen. And I, for one, believe that we all need these ten words of life. These ten words, which are what we usually refer to as the Ten Commandments or the Law, are indeed words of life. They, are, they bring life into our relationships when we follow them. I often think of them as, guard, as God's guardrails that guide us and keep us from running into a ditch or worse yet, running off the side of a mountain. As we, see through this, as we will see throughout this series, though, none of us are perfect. If you feel like somebody's stepping on your toes during any one of these service, ser, sermons, messages, know that it's not just your toes that are being stepped on. It's mine and it's Andy's and probably a lot of other people. Scripture even warns us that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, how easily it is for us to fail to live up to God's standards. We're reminded in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful 
deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then in Matthew fifteen nineteen, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. On our own, we will from time to time fail to keep God's commandments. Only one has been able to follow them completely, and that is Jesus. But as we follow him, the one who came that these laws could be fulfilled and allow his words to live in our hearts, our hearts will be changed by his spirit. God's word tells us in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-eight, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will be put in you. I will remove from your heart the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And remember what Jesus told us in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, in order for us to follow Jesus more closely and have this life, we have to learn to see more clearly. Sometimes we've been so influenced by the world around us that we're not even aware of when we're breaking one of God's laws. Last week, Pastor Andy's message was From Envy to Contentment. The title of today's message is From Deception to Truth-Telling, and it is based on the ninth word. So hear the word of God from Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sounds simple, right? Don't give false testimony. Don't lie. Don't tell stories that are not true. In Proverbs 6, 19, we're told of seven things that are detestable to the Lord, and two of those involve deception. Now, I would imagine that most of us here consider ourselves to be honest, trustworthy people, at least most of the time. But false testimony, deception, comes in many forms, and it's all around us, and it does influence us if we let it. And as we look at more, it more closely, we may be surprised how easy it is to not only be deceived, but to also fall into to, to deceiving others. There's six different forms of deception that we're going to be looking at. Lying flattery, hypocrisy, half-truths, self-deception, and gossip. First, there's lying. These are bold-faced lies. When somebody tells an untruth, they know that they've told an untruth. They know that it's false. They're often referred to as little white lies. But in God's eyes, a lie is a lie. Have you ever made a promise that you knew when you made it, you really weren't going to be able to keep it? Have you ever padded an expense account or been less than honest on your tax returns? Have you ever told a teacher or a parent that you'd done something when in actuality you had not done it? (laughs) Then there's flattery. 
Flattery is when we say something nice to someone, but we really don't mean it. Have you ever said something nice to someone just because you didn't want to insult them, but you really didn't mean what you said? We don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but lying is never an option. So we either find something that we can honestly say or don't say anything at all. You know, we have two ears and one mouth. Sometimes we need to listen instead of speak. And then there's hypocrisy. A hypocrite is a deceiver because he pretends to be something he's not. He tries to give people the impression that he's more righteous than he really is. And an example of that from scripture is that story of Ananias and Sapphira, where in the early church they had sold some land and they went to the church and they gave money to the church and they said they were giving all of the money. But in actuality, they had held some out. That's being a hypocrite. They weren't being honest. And then there are those half-truths. It's possible for us to be technical, for what we say to be technically true, but we leave out certain pertinent facts, thus misleading others to believe something that's not true. False claims are made all the time through advertising agencies, through politicians, and sometimes even by religious leaders. Genesis 37 tells us the story of Joseph's Joseph's brothers who tell a half-truth. They they sell their brother into slavery, and then they take his coat, and they kill animals, put blood on the coat, and takes the coat back to their father and asks him a question. Is this Joseph's coat? Which leads the father to think that his son has been killed by animals, wild animals. When the brothers know full well, Joseph's not dead. He's just a slave. Later on, they confess that and they're sorry. They, They repent of that. But right there, they don't. And then there's self deception. This is when we don't want to face reality. Sometimes we can convince ourselves to believe things that are not true. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are all on our own. We are all sinners. But we also need to be aware and to, to remember that we were also created in the image of God. And even though we live in a fallen world with a fallen nature, as we walk with Jesus... We are being transformed. We are in process, as described in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God's will, his pleasing, good, and perfect will. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 18 And in all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, they're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then the last way that we sometimes deceive ourselves is with gossip and others. So exactly what do we say, what is gossip? 
Now, one definition that our book talks about is when you hear something you like about someone you don't and you repeat it. You don't check to see if it's true or not. You just repeat it. Ellsworth Callis says it may well be that no sin is is as universally popular as the sin of false witness, the sin of slander, the defaming of other persons. We only have to listen to the news to be able to say amen to that, right? David Hazany, an American-born Israeli writer, translator, and editor, says, Gossip is called Lashon Hara, the evil tongue. And the rabbis believe it to be one of the worst crimes against society. The worst crimes against society? Could it really be that bad? Is name-calling really that harmful? Did any of you or do any of you have someone in your life who's a very critical person, a parent or a teacher whose voice you can still hear in your head? Can anybody remember coming home from elementary or middle school in tears because other kids had said something negative about you or called you names? And if those things have happened to you, did anyone say in response to those situations, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you? Did that help? No, because the truth is sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can break your heart and your spirit. So David Hasney says that the most obvious reason is that whereas crimes like murder and theft, the harm is self-evident and well-defined, but with negative speech, it's easy to convince ourselves that there are no bad results, especially when the words are spoken in private. We may have good intentions. Maybe we share a prayer concern that someone has shared with us. But unless we have their permission to share this with others, we just may be spreading gossip. Maybe we are simply sharing our feelings about another, what another person said or did. Like, I couldn't believe that this person said da 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 da. And then that gets repeated. There are times when we have been hurt and we need to speak in order for our healing to take place, to better understand and to be able to protect ourselves. But these are private, confidential conversations, not casual conversations to be repeated. Even our joking sometimes can be harmful and hurtful if we use stereotypes in our jokes. Words are are powerful. God spoke this universe into existence, and with our words, we too create the atmosphere of our world. James 3, 3 through 12 is a good reminder of the power of our words. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's image. Out of the same tongue come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James tells it like it is. So why is our world so full of deception? There are basically five reasons that people deceive other people. To get out of trouble, to get what we want or for personal gain, pride and envy, misguided love or kindness, and sometimes out of habit. Sometimes people deceive others because they know they've done something wrong, they've sinned, they've hurt someone else, and they want to hide. Other times, they want something. There's personal gain in telling these lies. Things like advertising, they're all around us misleading us all the time into thinking that we're getting something that in actuality we may not be getting. Take, for example, the words organic and natural. They may sound like they're the same thing, but according to FDA regulations, they're worlds apart. And then think about our politicians. They tell us what they think we want to hear in order to be elected, even though they know that they probably won't be able to deliver. Oftentimes, people deceive others because they want people to think better of them than they really are. It's pride and envy that fuel the deception. And then sometimes people lie out of a misguided love. Have you ever known a parent who lied to keep a child out of trouble? Oftentimes, young people think that loyalty means that they lie to protect their friends. Family members often lie to cover up for one another or to get something they want. As a child, did you ever tell your parents that you'd done all your homework and all your chores so that you could watch TV when you actually had not done those things? Yeah. Some people lie for various reasons, but it just becomes a habit out of, out of their life, a way of life. They, it be- develops into a habit. They lie even when there seems to be no apparent purpose in it. Jeremiah 9, 4-5 speaks to this situation. 
where God says to, through Jeremiah, Beware of your friends. Do not trust anyone in your clan. For every one of them is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friend deceives friend and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. They live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. So how do we move from this place of deception into truth-telling? Two different things we need to remember to help us to move from that deception to truth-telling. The first thing is we need to remember the power of our words and the harm that lying and deception have. There's a reason God gave us the ninth word. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Can you remember a time when someone said something to you that was affirming and uplifting, that was true? Do you remember those good feelings that you received when they shared that with you? Now, can you also remember a time when someone said something about you that wounded your heart that wasn't true? Our words do indeed have power. Our words have the power to heal or to wound to encourage or dishearten, to speak truth or to deceive, to praise or to criticize, to connect or separate, to bless or curse. Scripture tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's Proverbs 18.21. So our words can bring life and death or death to our relationships. Deception and lying harms other people. We saw in Genesis 37 when the brothers sold Joseph into slavery that um, they deceived their father. And the results of that were that Jacob grieved and mourned for many, many years believing that his son Joseph had really died. Later on, the sons are sorry for the grief that they caused. But lying can wound people. It can destroy people's reputations. It can alienate people in families, at work, at school, and even in our churches. When people find out that others have lied to them or about them, they're often hurt and angry. Lying influences us or others to sin. You know, children watch their parents and other adults. And if we're not always truthful in our dealings, if we tell those little white lies, our kids are watching that and they think it's okay. So how can we expect them to be truthful if sometimes we stretch the truth? Lying also leads to a loss of respect and trust. If someone has deceived you, it will be difficult to trust them in the future. And last but certainly not least, lying leads to to alienation from God. Proverbs 12.22 tells us, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Deception and lying destroy our relationships with other people and with God. 
It destroys, it undermines trust, it erodes community, and it steals our credibility. So let's learn to ask ourselves these questions when we speak of another person. Is it true? Is it helpful? And is it kind? And you might even want to write those down. Is it true? Is it helpful? And is it kind? While lying and and deception destroy, truth-telling does exactly the opposite. Truth-telling creates trust between people. It builds up community as we begin to trust each other. And consistently telling the truth gives us credibility in the eyes of those around us. So the first thing that we needed to remember is the power of our words. The second thing we need to remember is to fill our hearts with God's truth. Jesus came to bring truth and grace. God's truth transforms reality as we know it. God's truth leads to healing as we follow it. The following scriptures remind us of the importance of God's truth held in our hearts. Matthew twelve thirty four to 35. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasury brings forth evil things. We speak according to what is in our hearts. So we need to harbor only truth in our hearts. And then there's Psalm 51, 10 to 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then there's Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Psalm 15.2. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Those whose walk is blameless, who, do, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slurs on others. And then we have what Jesus tells his disciples in John eight thirty one to 32. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Telling the truth is liberating. We also must tell ourselves the truth of who we are. We have a worldly identity that was created by others and what they have said about us. But that is not our true identity. When we accept Christ, we are given a new identity led by his spirit. Romans eight fourteen to 16 tells us, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive 
does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's often said that the, that awareness is the first step to change. And we all need to be made more aware of our words. Just this last week, I found myself in a situation where someone shared something about another person that we both knew. And without even thinking, I could have repeated that information. But I'd been reading this book, and it dawned on me that if I did that, that would be gossiping. Luckily, I had been reading. And so I realized, okay, that's gossiping. This week, I want to offer every one of us a challenge to become more aware. And the challenge is this. I want you to practice rigorous honesty. I want us all to pay attention to the times when we are tempted to either bend the truth a little bit or speak ill of another person. And then I want you to take it one step further. I want you to ask yourself, I want to ask myself, why do we want to do that? What's going on? Then I want us all to claim God's promise in Proverbs 3, 1 to 4. My sons and daughters, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your years, your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear most gracious God, we, um, we do sometimes get caught up in the world around us. And we're not aware that something that we say or do might be hurtful to another person. So, Lord, this week, be with us. Help us to see clearly, to look at those times when we might be tempted to do or say something that could cause harm to another. Lord, we want to walk more closely with Jesus, following his spirit and following your commandments. It's only as we listen and as we allow his spirit to lead us that we are capable of walking your way. So, Lord, we, um, we just ask that you continue to lead God and direct us in all we think, in all we say, and in all we do. And it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.